the idea is that if you travel faster than light or the speed of light, you'll go back in time or to at least at any point in time in which you would like to go to, assuming you'd be able to dictate that. So it is important to mention that time travel is largely without other dimensions impossible as time itself is simply an arbitrary concept that is defined by us, right? So what defines the present? The current organization of matter and energy in the universe. Every second or millisecond, molecules, atoms, quarks, and so on, they're all moving. And energy is being transferred. Is it really possible to go back to a previous form of time? Only by rearranging all the molecules in the universe to a previous state. But again, we have to define time larger than that of the perspective in which we view it right now. Right? So, what is Project Kronos? So let me explain this very simply. Project Kronos was supposedly a project in which was either, and I say supposedly only with respect to the fact that it was either a UK operation or a CIA and DARPA cooperation. And there are some people who say that the UK and the, uh, the MI6 and, um, and the CIA and DARPA all worked together. It was sort of a, a corresponding project, if you will. And then there are others that say that that wasn't the case at all. It was strictly the CIA and DARPA. Regardless, Project Kronos, in fact, existed. And I guess you could say ended successfully, so to speak. So it started with a man at the age of 71 years old who claimed to be a time travel assassin who killed people. Now, as ridiculous as that, that might sound, just hear me out for a second. So a man from Virginia turned, turned himself into the FBI claiming he was a time traveler assassin who killed more than 30 people between 1678 and the year 2239. So his name is Leroy Timothy Anderson. He claimed he worked for a secret government agency and was part of a program called the Kronos Project. So Anderson claimed that the Kronos Project is or was a secret project that he worked for created by the CIA, DARPA, and MI6 and was supervised with, uh, within the United States Special Operations Division. Anderson came forth fearing the agency he'd worked for wanted to terminate him because he knew too much. Now, people who supposedly have been assassinated by this top-secret program include Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi, Julius Caesar, uh, as well as Abraham Lincoln. So, according to the FBI director, Christopher Wray, Mr. Anderson not only claims to have killed President Lincoln, but also 32 others, including at least 12 that are not even born yet. So, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln was believed to have been executed by John Wilkes Booth as a way to reawaken the Confederacy. Booth was killed days later after, after the assassination when he was found hiding on a farm in Virginia. This was a direct quote from Christopher A. Ray. Now, the FBI, along with Christopher Ray, believed that Anderson simply lost touch of reality. They didn't believe he killed anyone, and they decided not to open an investigation into this. 
Why should they? I mean, it's either one of two things. This gentleman is either unfortunately very crazy or he's telling the truth, but the, the truth is just so far-fetched and out there that no one in their current state of mind, at least within the consciousness we're in in society today, would tend to believe this, right? So first we have to understand why was it called Project Kronos? It was called Project Kronos because of something called the Kronos machine. So in the years prior to the Ananke conference, which I will do another episode on down the road, the Kronos project accidentally discovered time travel. The actual theory behind how this works is still somewhat unclear because there is documentation provided, but there's not enough to describe in detail what this project was about. But it became clear that activation of a Kronos device, as they named it, allowed someone or many multiple people to travel back to any time where a Kronos machine was activated. Because if there was no Kronos machine in which they traveled back in time to, they would not be able to jump back into the present or wherever they came from, right? So the length of each time step is variable. For example, in the first Kronos machine created accidentally, each unit corresponded to one nanosecond. So the Kronos was stable 12 nanoseconds after activation and closed one nanoseconds later, after the fact. In the Kronos machine on the Ananke within the conference, each unit corresponded to one hour with activation beginning at midnight, allowing an hour-long demonstration at noon at this Ananke conference once per day from day two and onwards and so on and so forth. So the Kronos, in the Kronos machine used in the present day today, each unit corresponds to one day, allowing a full day of travel back to the Ananke every 24 days, midnight to midnight, measured in what they call Ananke time. Now, each Kronos machine can only travel to a given activation of another Kronos machine once. A Kronos machine cannot travel back to any of its own activations. A Kronos machine can not be transported back in time inside of another Kronos machine. Then you're, you're messing with the fabric of which the technology and, and, uh, and all of that is built on. So the full details of the casualty of time travel are not currently known. When I say casualty, I mean the consequences of certain people dying and what have you, sort of like the Philadelphia Project and all that. So changes made in the past will certainly persist, but it is not certain what happens when these changes directly affect the past of the users of the Kronos machine or the past of the machine itself. So early experiments were cautious, but at the present time, the risk is deemed worth it. So in theory, it is possible to shield the location of a Kronos machine so that it would be unaffected by any changes to casualty, meaning potential death or a mistake within the way that it's used or health risks or what have you. And so the most publicly known test of time travel happened aboard the Ananke. And so reports from the early days of the conference say that spectators were sent back to an isolated chamber and instructed to place a note in a box along with a signed and secure chronometer. The chamber was set up such that at the end of the tests, the boxes would be stored securely and the rest of the chamber would be destroyed. The boxes were not opened until after their respective tests to avoid any paradoxical effects on casualty and potential harming of people and, and, and what have you.
Now, on opening the boxes, the notes, uh, occasional personal items and all that were present, along with the chronometer showing the actual time passed since the point the spectators had traveled to. Now, it is unknown how many of these precautions were necessary or what would have happened if they were not taken. Now, this is essentially what it is. It is it's very simple. It's a time-traveling machine, so to speak. It seems to be a little bit limited relative to what else has been leaked and said to have been possible, but it's said to have been very much based off of the premise in which Nikola Tesla was working on and, uh, and other respective scientists. So here's the thing. I don't like to bring this up so often because I feel that it's, it's been overused in so many BS stories and what have you, but I feel like it's very important for me to, to bring this up because of the fact that it's simp the Nazis were a part of history, and the, the Nazis were the, is the subject I'm very hesitant to bring up often, but when, it, when they're relevant and, and they're essentially part of the, the, the legitimate story, I can't just leave a certain part of a story out of there. So it's been very well known that Hitler and the Nazis, particularly near the end of the war, were communicating with ETs, particularly the Greys, which are known to be probes and sort of artificial beings that are more robotic than anything. And they're, they're not known to be the most friendliest, if you will. But Hitler was in communication with many different types of beings. It's very well known Hitler was very much into the occult and, and to things like that. And so Germans began developing advanced technologies during the end of the war, and this became a matter of public record. There is compelling evidence that in the early 1930s, the technology and presence of one or more extraterrestrial races became known to the leaders of Nazi Germany, who embarked on an ambitious effort to communicate with these races for the purposes of acquiring their advanced technology. So, using communication techniques that would be widely dismissed today as sort of psychic channeling, if you will, there is evidence that the Nazi sponsorship of occult societies that specialized in this form of communication with these ET races were successful in gaining information that produced rapid technological breakthroughs that eventually came to the attention of the intelligence services of Britain, France, USSR, currently Russia, and the United States. Now... While predictably dismissive of such esoteric practices by the Nazi re regime, each of the intelligence services of these major states initiated efforts to attain whatever intelligence information they could gain on the Nazi communication methods with ET races while monitoring the ET-inspired technology being developed by Nazi Germany. This is something I'd like to, to, I'd like to note very quickly before I go on. Because, and I can't stress this enough, because of Hitler's very particular and keen interest into the occult, I would like to note that because of this, it actually proved to be very successful for Hitler and the Nazi party. And I say that because this led to, Hitler's understanding of the occult led to being able to communicate with these extraterrestrials in a much more fluid way than that of the United States or Britain or whatever country also came into contact with, with ETs. 
And the reason for that is because whether you like it or not, the occult, and I'm not a big fan of the occult in a lot of aspects, but the occult and everything surrounding it is very much into the understanding of vibrational frequencies and communication on many different spiritual planes. And this is something that extraterrestrials understand far more than that of people in Western society. I can't speak for the rest of the world, but I would, I would dare to say the rest of the world. Not everyone, but roughly most people, I would say. And because of Hitler's interest in that, this, you could call it coincidental or not, but this literally helped, him his, helped in his advance advancements with communication with these beings, right? So, chief of the technical mission to Germany for the Ministry of Aircraft Production stated in 1945, and I quote, I have seen enough of their designs and production plans to realize that if the Germans had managed to prolong the war some months later, we would have been confronted with a set of entirely new and deadly developments in air warfare. The Germans had several radical types of aircraft and guided missiles under development. The majority were, the mo were in the most preliminary stages, but they were the only known craft that could even approach the performance of objects reported to UFO observers. Now, again, we don't know what kind of deal Hitler made with, with a certain ET species or multiple species in order to obtain such advanced technology, which I guess to these species would not be as advanced, but... I mean, relative to what they have. But I think ultimately, whatever Hitler did was, he essentially said, I would imagine something along the lines of, listen, there's a war going on on this planet. I'm currently winning. Give me a little more technology, more than what you would give other nations, so that I have a bit of an edge. And when I win, assuming that I do, you will have, you will be able to do whatever you please on this planet. That's the only way that I can see communicating with any other type of diplomatic or even ruthless species would say give us more of your technology even though it's not the best of what you have give us a little bit more and ultimately when i win this war assuming that i do you will be able to do whatever the hell you want you want to abduct as many people as you like uh, do what you wish right now global management of what can be defined as extraterrestrial affairs you know, government policies dealing with ET races and ET-inspired technology, has as its foundation events that occurred during the 1930s when ETs first began to communicate with the leadership of a major world government. So the fact that this government was that of Nazi Germany, who soon began a campaign aiming to establish military dominance in Europe, was significant in terms of how the ET presence would later be globally managed by the Allies, who ended up winning the war, obviously, who emerged from, from all of that. So, when you look at what's being analyzed and all that, you'll notice that in the 30s and early 40s, there was an extreme advancement in the technology that the Nazis had. Now listen, I'm not trying to discredit anyone. Germans have known to be very smart, even to this day, and I'm not trying to, at the same time, I want to note, I'm not trying to summarize Germans with that of the Nazi regime. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is that Germans, along with many other, you know, the Chinese and, and, and many different Europeans, have known to be extremely smart when it comes to engineering specifically, right? They're very, very smart people. So, ultimately... 
when you look into this and you study all of this, you will find that the Germans had documents, had connections, or sorry, the Nazis had documentation, had connections far beyond what people had initially thought. Now, as to whether or not ETs were communicating with the Allies, you know, France, Germany, uh, sorry, France, United States, Britain, whether or not they were communicating with the Allies during the war or after the war, it's hard to say. If you're a species from another planet and you're, or say, for example, we have the ability to travel to another planet and we observe that a major war is going on within this particular planet, what are we going to do? We're more than likely going to sit it out feed technology to the current ones winning the war at that time, but ultimately we're going to side or make arrangements with those who have won the war and wait till the war is over. So in 1921, German mathematician Theodor Kaluza published the world's first hyperdimensional unified field theory. In 1945, an above-top-secret Nazi secret weapons project codenamed Project Kronos went completely missing. So in the in intervening 24 years, Germany became the first great power in the world to create, investigate, and build prototype technologies based on Theodore Kaluza's hyperdimensional physics. And they developed new hidden physics, right? The strangest thing about time travel is probably that, number one, the Nazis winning World War II is the most common accidental timeline shift. And number two, that will usually be the only change in the new timeline. It seems almost like Nazi Germany was supposed to win and that history is trying to get back to its original form, right? So we have extremely sophisticated civilizations with knowledge of physics and communications with a level of technology and the use of it for weaponry resulting in, you know, massive prehistoric destruction, right? But... And theoretical and quantum physics have long been regarded as sort of the, the high ground of scientific study, but ultimately, it seems as though, and I, I'm not the first one to realize this, but in conjunction with those who's, who have experienced things similar to the Mandela effect, it's one of two things. Either things are trying to be realigned back into which certain beliefs of the Nazi party had sort of established, Right? There's something going on in the interdimensional shift of time, whether that's something or someone or a group of people or a governing body of people or ETs trying to change that, we don't know. It's either that or the Nazi regime had, is still living to this day. And I say that very carefully because I don't want to, I don't want to word that incorrectly. Right, Because, I mean, you look at Operation Paperclip, when you really think about it, there are many Nazis who had kids and they had kids and then now we, if we bring it up to this current modern day, they're still alive. As to whether or not those Nazi-like beliefs are, are still being pushed within certain governments or factions or, or classified operations, we don't know. But ultimately, what this shows is that presumably the UK and the US took over Project Kronos from Nazi Germany. And that's the reason why this was a sort of accidental project, if you want to call it. Right? And, I mean, think about it. Documents suddenly go missing. Right? Secret weapons suddenly go missing. No, no, they didn't go missing. They got seized. 
Now, as to whether or not what, like, which government seized it, I don't know. It's very difficult to say. But they got seized, ultimately, right? So, again, that's why Project Kronos, if you hear about it, you probably won't. It's very difficult to hear about it, very hard to research. But that's why when you hear about things like the Kronos Project or Project Kronos or what have you, it's been rumored, you'll kind of hear through the, the, the rumblings of things, of people that know about it, that some people might say to you, hey, wasn't that supposed to be, wasn't that sort of like an accidental project, right? And so that is exactly why it was an accidental project, because of the Germans doing it first, and then later on, the Allies sort of taking it over. And that matches in line perfectly. That's a perfect alignment with people who say that it's a UK and... U.S. operation. Again, MI6, CIA, and DARPA. That's why people say it was a conjunction. Some say, no, it was the U.K., some say it was the U.S., some say they kind of took, you know, they took a little bit, they seized, the, the U.S. seized some weapons and documents, and the U.K. seized some weapons and documents. Very hard to say, but ultimately, it's very simple. We can, at least we know we can narrow it down to two countries. So, let me know what you guys think about this, uh, because I find it to be very interesting. If you really search for you will find things on it and i will provide as much links and documentation as i can in the uh, the description below but let me know if you're watching on youtube please feel free to subscribe like rate the whole uh, the whole nine yards the whole thing and uh, we will catch you next time i'd love to hear your guys opinion on this thank you